0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Mc Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Helan, the managing editor of the NBA page, with you as always, and today it's time to talk Western Conference, which... I guess the East is very much this way too this year, but one of the interesting things is it's deep with good teams. It's at least 11 deep with teams that have playoff aspirations. Some of those teams are just – one of those teams at the very least is not even going to make the postseason. Um, The play in some teams are going to be gone early. It it could get a little messy. And, uh, well, based on what we've seen last week in uh, Henderson, Nevada – there might be a couple teams that decide to tank midseason after watching Wembe and Scoot Anderson. We'll see what happens. To break all break down the West, a guy who is uh, now works for NBA.com but who has covered the Lakers, the Warriors, and is the Western Conference for a long time, Mark Medina. How are you doing, Mark?
2: Kurt, I am good. I mean, first of all, I'm always doing well when I get to talk basketball with you. But uh, secondly, it's uh, going to be an exciting season. I think you captured the West well. It's very competitive a lot of teams that we'll get into that might have a shot of, you know, being title contenders or playoff contenders, but, you know, it will be interesting in lieu of what we saw with Victor Wembenyama and, uh um you know, last night against Scoot Henderson, you know, who are those teams that are going to quickly pivot about into, Hey, it's about next season.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was funny. I, I do a weekly thing with Ira Winderman uh, talking heat, but we were saying that with the East, it's true too. A it's a deep conference with good teams, but some team, is going to go through what Portland did last year, right? Which is, hey, our best player got injured and we're not going anywhere. Let's just tank. Let's just let's just go all in and see what we can get in this draft. Because it's it, beyond those two, the Thompson twins. Like, this is a deep draft at the top. And I wouldn't be shocked to see West Ori. Some teams are going to th- throw in on this. Like, Wembe Amba and Scoot Anderson really <laughs> – They impress people, and it's deeper than those two.
2: Yeah, and I think what's interesting about the Western Conference, unlike the Eastern Conference, is that um, at the top of the standings, there's not really like volatility. In the East, you know, you can make the argument that maybe, uh, you know, external things or personality clashes could derail teams like Boston or Philadelphia or Brooklyn. Where in the West, like, you know, obviously injuries aside, uh, there's a lot of just good top-heavy and mid-level talent. Yeah, Uh, But I think going into the season, I mean, in the Western Conference, really the only teams that are thinking about Victor Wemba and Yama before even a game is started are teams like the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs, you know, probably the Oklahoma City Thunder since Chet Holmgren's not going to be playing this season because of his injury. Um, And maybe – I think that's probably about it and maybe the Houston Rockets. but other than that, uh, the Western Conference, you know there's a lot of teams that I would say are good contenders and then a lot of teams that you think okay are either playoff contenders or possibilities for the plan. So it's gonna be interesting to see like how early does that injury kind of change things for one or more of the teams going into the year. But you know uh, before all that, I-, I think the depth from top to bottom, aside from the teams that already know that they're going to be in rebuilding mode. Uh, it's going to be a, a lot of interesting games to watch.
1: Yeah. There's, I think there's four teams that I don't think have the, the jazz obviously have signaled their rebuilding, even though they've got a couple trades to make the thunder are rebuilding. Um, and to now without, you know, Chet Holmgren for the year, I'm not sure that they're going all in the Spurs are obviously all in and the Rockets. I, I think the Rockets are going to be pretty entertaining. They're just going to lose a lot of games, but they're, <laughs> But with Jalen Green and stuff, they, they've got some nice young players, and they're just going to play them and and basically throw them in the fire and let them learn.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, look, they have a lot of, uh, I, I think, intriguing pieces here because, on one hand, they went through all the growing pains last year, right, about, um, you know, young players' development and Steven Silas, you know, really uh, being able to try to have his grasp on the roster – Um, but it's almost a a repeat of what they could potentially, uh, face, you know, this upcoming season too, because they're second year players and they also have a handful of very, you know, young players coming in as rookies. So it's going to be interesting. Like, do you see substantial growth from last season from some of their second year players or it will be kind of more of the same because they already have to integrate some new rookies and, you know, it. We'll have to wait and see. So. Yeah. At the
1: top, um, we'll move up to the top of the conference. Look, I don't know that they're going to finish with the best record of the regular season, but I, I think the team I trust the most as a contender, the one team I would have kind of on its own tier of contenders that I don't have huge questions about is the Warriors, right? Like they won the title. They are bringing back the core eight players that were part of the rotation last year, Mark.
2: Are they the team to beat? I think so, but I think I personally think that there's and you know I was talking to a league executive from uh, a certain team earlier this offseason about this about like how do you rank the teams in the West and I agreed with that person's point that I think the the Warriors and the Clippers are on one tier. I do give yeah. the edge to the Warriors because of their experience and continuity, um, but the Clippers on paper have an amazing depth. The fact that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are back and at this point healthy and, you know, with the exception of Isaiah Hardenstein going to New York, they basically retained all their supporting guys and they added John Wall. But the question mark has it's always been ever since Kawhi and PG joined forces. is like, can those guys stay healthy and can the rest of the roster? And, you know, I think that because Kawhi had a full season to recover from his ACL and a lot of the other guys were able to have a full off season. There is more optimism, but, you know, uh, NBA teams don't operate in the world and on paper. You know, injuries yeah. always happen. And so I think that there is kind of a wait-and-see approach because the Clippers have been such, you know, bedridden with bad luck there that, you know, the war, the, the Warriors would have the edge. But aside from those two teams, I think on, on paper, there is a clear separation between teams like Golden State and the Clippers compared to, the Suns and the Grizzlies and the Nuggets and the Mavericks. I think all those two teams are in that second tier, and we can debate you know, which team should be 3, 4, 5, and 6. But I think compared to the Warriors and the Clippers, they just don't have the same amount of depth and continuity.
1: I think my concern with the Clippers, is you, you nailed, is just I would have them. In fact, honestly, um, and, and, and then next week I've got a – Actually, later this week, I have to make my uh, predictions official, and our podcast comes out Wednesday with uh, Corey Robinson. But I'm probably picking the Clippers to come out of the West, but it is, but it comes with a question for me, and, and the you nailed it. It's, are Paul George and Kawhi Leonard healthy? If they're healthy, not only is this team deep, I mean, they get through the regular season. They won 42 games last year, I think it was off the top of my head, mm-hmm. with... Without, you know, with what, uh, Kawhi for a third of, uh, no Kawhi and, and Paul George for a third of the season, because they're just so deep. They are 12 deep with quality rotation players where, and I think that becomes useful in the playoffs. Like, hey, you want to go big? We can do that. We've got Zubac and stuff. You want to go small and we play more? So like, they can go so many different directions with their lineups, and it gives Tyron Lue, who has become one of the better X's and O's coaches in the league, it just gives him options, right? You get into a play and and gives him options every night during the season when somebody's hot or not, or just needs a night off, but it also gives him real options in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And look, I think even before the season starts, I think that we can preemptively say that Uh, at least Kawhi Leonard, like he's not playing all 82 games because he's been on, he's been on load management program ever since Toronto. And I don't think even if he had a full season of recovering from an ACL injury, that that's only going to change. That's how Kawhi beats That's how the Clippers beat. And, you know, going back to what Lawrence Frank uh, you know, their head guy in basketball operations said before the season started, he was talking about integrating Kawhi Leonard and being very cautious with what his workload's going to entail. So I think even off the jump, it's safe to think, okay, back-to-backs, Kawhi's not doing that. Anytime there's a minor ailment, Kawhi's not playing. And so I think the the sweet spot and the challenge that, you know, the Clippers and Ty Lue will have to face is can they, quote-unquote, benefit from him being out of the lineup in the in the sense that they know how to adjust with different rotations and find plug-and-play players that can be familiar with that as opposed to guarding against the negative consequences of that, of, you know, just having so many different lineup combinations and lack of continuity. I think the fact that the Clippers can anticipate this and the fact that they have gone through this rodeo before, um, makes them, I think, ready to handle this challenge. But I think the danger of that is if it extends to other players on the roster, a la Paul George, John Wall, You know, obviously, on one hand, he's going to have a bigger role because he's not with the Houston Rockets. He was being asked to sit out because they wanted to develop their younger players and improve their lottery odds. Here, you know, they're trying to win, and he doesn't have the same pressure of being the guy as he was earlier in his career. But let's face it, he's had injury history. So that's the challenge of it's one thing if they have to navigate not a full 82 game slate with Kawhi, because that's just how it's always been for him even when he's been quote-unquote healthy but if it permeates to the rest of the roster that's where i think things get dicey for them
0: Dietz and watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever what's that mean it means never cutting corners ever it means cooking not processing it means our virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection then twice baked to layer the flavors it takes more time but you can taste the difference we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Met crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour
1: How optimistic are you for wall i mean i i'm 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 hopeful that we get to see uh, to see uh, him back and and contributing he's a guy who Worked really hard to add craft to his game because there wasn't a ton early on. There didn't have to be. He was so fast. It's like he could just get to the rim and make plays. But he's really developed into an all, you know, at his peak, an all NBA level uh, point guard who could set things up and hit shots and stuff. And I'm curious to see what he looks like now because I, I doubt, look, he's, he's clearly not going to have the same burst he had when he was 23. But what has he got? What, what
2: does he bring to the table? Uh, how optimistic are you for him? I'm, I'm pretty optimistic simply because of the circumstances where I think both parties, the Clippers and John wall, uh, the needs are for what po- both parties need, I think can lead to a very fruitful partnership where the Clippers don't need him to be the guy, uh, as he was in Washington. And again, they have different priorities where they're in win now mode. So they're not going to be seeing him on the bench for no reason. Um, he doesn't have the same pressure of exerting the workload and having the amount of athleticism that made him such a great player. But the reality is even when fully healthy, the Clippers would be the first to acknowledge that they felt like they could improve uh, their roster by having another another playmaker uh, to as much as they liked having the ball in Kawhi and Paul George's hands. They also wanted to relieve their workload. They parted ways with Patrick Beverly as well um, last season. So he fulfills a need of having a defensive point guard, um, but he doesn't have to be the number one or number two option. And so I think with that, um, I am optimistic. There might be some tactical growing pains, um, maybe some flare-ups here or there from an injury standpoint. But again, I think the Clippers infrastructure uh, provides, you know, proverbial guardrails for John Wall, where unlike if he was with a team, that was setting him up to be a number one guy, that could be a recipe for another challenging ordeal like he encountered in Washington.
1: We kind of jumped off the Warriors who I brought up originally. They're kind of the opposite in some ways. Like, I trust them in the playoffs, right? Like I said, they're bringing the core eight back and what have you. But they're going to lean into the kids in the regular season to get them there rested and healthy. You're going to see a lot more Jonathan Kuminga. You're going to see more... Monte Morris, uh, Jordan. I don't know if you're going to see more Jordan Poole. By the end of the season, Jordan Poole was critical for them. Um, by the way, you know who was the happiest person with Tyler Hero's extension? It had to be Jordan Poole's agent, right? Like
2: <laughs> He set the market. Yep. He set the market. And I think from what Bob Myers was talking about is that they're planning to talk at some point uh, after the preseason trip again. Uh, you know, in Tokyo, and the Warriors just got back from that. So there might be some uh, business meetings coming up pretty soon.
1: It'd be interesting. I don't look, he's become too important to them. Both in the regular season, he gives them look, you got to get Steph Curry and Clay Thompson some rest. You just have to. Like they're just older. Obviously, Clay's had a long injury history. You, if you're going to have them as fresh as possible in the postseason, you need to have some time off. Jordan Poole steps in and they don't miss
2: a beat. Yeah, without a doubt, it's plug and play. And I, I don't think that there's going to be any mystery about his negotiations. I would be very surprised if both sides don't agree to an extension. No doubt, Joe Lakeup is worried about that luxury tax bill, but he's also worried about collecting championships. And if nothing else, I think that there is something to be said that uh, signing him to an extension does two things. It relieves any possibility of him leaving later on and like fostering more resentment, even if he is a restricted free agent next summer and they could match it. Um, Sometimes, you know, like what happened with the Utah Jazz with Gordon Hayward, that is the first signal of, okay, things are going to end in a trade. Um, You don't have to be tied to contracts anymore uh, to fulfill a partnership. So in the future, they could very well just say, hey, he's an asset we can trade. Now, I don't think the Warriors have that intention, uh, because they really like Jordan Poole's growth and they feel like he's just scratching the surface. And when you're talking about you know, this whole idea about, hey, they're, they're going to lean on the young guys even more, there's an unknown to that, but there's not the unknown with Jordan Poole. They knew what they were getting with how he blossomed last season, most notably in the playoffs. I think the question moving forward is going to be intriguing about, is the combination of James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody – uh, are they going to be enough not only to develop and show some promise in the regular season, but are they really going to provide substantial playoff minutes? You know, for all you know, the rhetoric that the Warriors talked about of leaning on their core guys while developing the young players on the fly. The reality is that in the postseason, they went with their all-stars and Jordan Poole and really no one else. Will those young guys, i.e., Kaminga and Wiseman and Moody, Show enough regular season promise where they're actually playing in the postseason. Last season, you know, the rhetoric was about leaning on the all stars while developing the young guys on the fly. And while that certainly took place, that only took place in the regular season. You know, Wiseman obviously was hurt the entire year, but Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody played very little in postseason play. Right. This season, the plan for them is going to be different, but the reality is. The NBA is a results oriented business. And, you know, Steve Kerr is obviously going to go with a tighter rotation and go with the guys that he trusts the most in the playoffs. And obviously, that's always going to include the all star players. But uh, if he doesn't have enough trust in any combination of Kaminga, Wiseman, and Moody to play meaningful postseason minutes, that's a concession that, you know, those guys didn't show enough promise in the regular season that gives the organization confidence about their long term development.
1: Yeah, it's going to be, I think, an interesting regular season for them, and, and for people who want more, we uh, I talked to Justin Johnson from NBC Sports Bay Area extensively. There's a whole other podcast if you go a couple couple down uh, from this one, wherever you get your podcasts in our in our feed. Uh, we've got forty five minutes to an hour of of, uh, of just Warriors talk, and we get into this in a lot of detail and. The other problems they've got coming up with, you know, we talked briefly about the Jordan Pool extension and, and you mentioned it, that creates all sorts of fun down the line with their books and, and Draymond Green and all sorts of stuff that uh, we get into on that other podcast, but we'll save this one to stick with the West. When you get past them, we talked about the Clippers. Where do you put the Nuggets? Because I, I think on paper, they're capable of hanging with those two teams.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, look, I think on paper I would have the Phoenix Suns at number three, Memphis Grizzlies yeah. at number four, Dallas Mavericks at number five, Denver Nuggets at number six. But those four teams specifically, really, I think you can make a case that three through six flips in any sort of order. The only reason why I have the Suns is, hey, for all their uh, you know issues, whether it's Robert Sarver. And that whole ownership situation now being sold and their playoff shortcomings, they still have really good coaching, a lot of roster depth, and they basically have the same roster. And I think that they have yeah. the culture to navigate some of the potential pitfalls of Chris Paul's health, how DeAndre Ayton feels after not playing in game seven and his contract negotiations going a little haywire. Um, you know, the Grizzlies are a young, up and coming team. Dallas Mavericks, even though, you know, I think that they have clearly taken a step back with losing Jalen Brunson to New York. Tim Hardaway Jr. is back from his injury. Luka Doncic, I think, is the favorite to win MVP this season because Luka Doncic is brilliant. He just continues to get better. With the Nuggets, uh, you know, they have the case, though, to be number three because Jamal Murray's back, Michael Porter Jr. is back, Nicole Jokic could very well get his third MVP, and Michael Malone, I think, is one of the best coaches in the NBA, but I think, uh, you know, why I have them at six is, you know, for all of Nikola Jokic's brilliance as an MVP player, you know, one of the things that really makes them go is their depth. And no doubt they're a much better player now that Jamal and Michael Porter Jr. are healthy, but there's not that definitive all-star player with Nikola Jokic where the other teams, um, you know, specifically with, uh, Phoenix and Memphis, they they seem to have much more depth as far as w- a one two punch. You know, Dallas is an exception there, but I think you know Luca's brilliance is just so amazing. But yeah, I mean, on paper the Nuggets could be six, but they very well could be number three.
1: Yeah, I I think that they're. I, it's if Jamal Murray can get back to being w- what was an All Star level, true number two next to. Nikola Jokic, then I think you're there. Right. And Michael, you're going to need Michael Porter Jr. in the playoffs, but this is also a team where, I mean, you've got, you've got Gordon at the four, Aaron Gordon. You've got, like, I just think they're deep with good Bones Highland. They're going to ask a lot of, but I think he's kind of up to a backup point guard role this year. I just think they're deep with good enough players that come postseason, it really just comes down to, Can they defend well enough? I think they're still going to score a ton. Any team with any team with Nikola Jokic on it
2: going to score a lot of points. Yeah, without a doubt. You know Uh, what? I mean, the question
1: is just defense.
2: Yeah, as we're talking out loud here. Look, I'm putting Nuggets actually a number five. I mean, even though I think that yeah, Luka Doncic could win MVP, and hey, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Christian Wood and Javale McGee are serviceable players. The reality is, Lucas still doesn't have that defensive. Uh, no. sec, you know, teammate And it looked like he had that in Jalen Brunson And he goes to New York Um, So clearly The 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 Nuggets have a lot more depth And continuity to work with And even if there are question marks about Jamal Murray and how he'll be You know, and how long that process Will be, the reality is He had a very long rehab And you still have Nicole Jokic on the team So uh, that's yeah. a pretty good, good uh, person To rely on
1: yeah, With Dallas, don't you feel like and I just think that they could. If you told me they won more games during the regular season than Denver, I'd, I'd see that because a, again, Doncic is incredible, and the, just the basic idea that they've they've come to where they're with Maxi Kleba, with with the guys they've got of playing four out, you know, five out really, but like everybody spacing the floor around Luca and we're just going to move the ball and pass and hit threes. That's going to win them a lot of regular season games, I think where you miss Brunson is the postseason, right? If you end up the five or six seed and you have to face, you have to face Denver or you have to face, you know, the Suns or some other very good team in the first round. That's where as great as Luca is and as many great playoffs games as he's had, you can kind of Trey young, the guy a little bit, right? I'm just going to throw everything at you. Cause I dare you to beat me with anybody else. Like, I yeah, just don't think you can do it. And, yeah. and I just, I, I think that they I'm with you. I think that, Regular season, they can finish anywhere, but playoffs, they just scare me a little less than the other teams on on this kind of tier, only because I just without that secondary shot creator, I don't fear them as much.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And look, I think that to Dallas credit, you know, they elevated their defense last season. I think that they have some quality rim protection this season that will make things easier. So that's not just Lucas scoring a bunch of points. They have. A defensive identity. And then on offense, I think that Luca has shown that uh, a better improvement with trusting his teammates and a willingness to make the right play than just relying on his greatness. But I think in the regular season, it's going to be a combination of Luca carrying them in certain games and then Luca showing trust in a Tim Hardaway Jr. or Spencer Dinwiddie uh, with, you know, giving more of an offensive balance. But I think that. Just from a pragmatic standpoint, Luka's not going to be able to help himself but rely on uh, his own greatness during the postseason. But, you know, during the playoffs, it's all about adjustments at some point. Like, he might have that Luka Doncic great game, but, you know, teams will be able to adjust eventually and dare Dallas to beat them with other weapons. Unfortunately, they don't really have any other weapons. So, barring any sort of uh, deal before the trade deadline, and I certainly wouldn't rule that out, but – As we're entering the 2023 season, I certainly have a lot of skepticism that, you know, they can get to the Western Conference like last year, let alone even escape the first round.
1: Where are you on the Grizzlies?
2: Yeah, uh, I like them. I don't think that they're a feel-good young team. I think that their success is real and tangible. But I think the reality is, A, they can't catch teams by surprise anymore. And number two, you know, the Warriors, Grizz, uh, Warriors Clippers, and Suns are just substantially better than the Grizzlies. That's not to say that they can't upset them. They're clearly not afraid of them. I mean, that's yeah. one of their calling cards that they like to get after and they compete. But I think just the talent discrepancy. So um, it's ironic. In some degree, I felt like they – shattered their ceiling last season and went further than I expected. But I think that they're still a season away from being able to be the West contender. That window still belongs to the Warriors and Clippers, assuming that health isn't isn't an issue. And then it still belongs to the Suns to a certain extent. But, you know, in fairness, the Suns imploded last season and you just never know about health. Yeah. In general, with the Clippers, that it's not like they don't have a shot at building off of last season, but they're more kind of on the outside looking in, and it's more about circumstance than their actual uh, identity at this point.
1: Yeah, and I think they lost a little depth. I mean, uh, slomo has gone, Kyle Anderson, and they, they, some other guys. They just they're counting yeah, on and some. Jaron Jackson
2: Jr. has an injury. Yeah, so I think
1: that that's. I think that's also a really kind of a big setback that they're not going to get him until there's varying reports, but we're going to be a month minimum and probably longer into the season before he's there. I just think in the regular season, all that's a little bit of a setback. And I, I'm with you. I just, I'm high on them long-term. I still think they might have to make a move. I still think we're going to, have to is Jaron Jackson Jr. really a number two? Uh, there's There's just a few questions out there. I'm really high on them as a, again, like you said, next year and and beyond. But I got a feeling after kind of exploding on the scene last year, they'll kind of plateau a little. Like, it's just not going to be a rocket acceleration still. It's, it's going to flatten out or take half a step back until they kind of find a groove again.
2: Yeah, and look, there's going to be a lot of teams that want to humble them. I think most yes. notably the Warriors. They, uh, As much as they respected the Grizzlies in the playoffs, they also felt like they were talking way too much and out of po- and being out of pocket. And so I think that teams like the Warriors whether it's the Christmas Day matchup or you know frankly the Clippers or the Suns I can see all yeah. those teams bringing a little bit of extra because again it's not the fun young team catching everyone by surprise. Now it is the you know the rising uh you know career climber that's rubbing the vets the wrong way and now they're you know, those vets are more inclined to kind of put put that young, brash person in their place.
1: I think let's talk about the two most intriguing teams in the West, the two teams that I I don't think either of them are contenders, but I think they are playoff potential playoff teams. They're just also really interesting, and we'll start in Minnesota, who has eschewed small ball, traded a lot to go get Rudy Gobert to put next to Carl Anthony Towns, and it's an interesting mix. You combine those two with the I – ex, I expect a big step forward from Anthony Edwards this year. I don't know about you. like If they're just taking a step forward in that athleticism, this is a really interesting team.
2: Yeah, and I, I like the Rudy Gobert trade. I know that they had to give up a lot to get it, but I liked the message that the Timberwolves sent that they're not going to miss this window of opportunity. And I also just trudge Tim Connolly's judgment – because he's coming from, you know, a, having a pretty extensive resume with his time with the Denver Nuggets, so yeah, I think that they're, you know, going to obviously be a lot better defensively because of Rudy Gobert. And I think that, you know, while yep. teams are all about small ball, it's all about trying to find a distinguishable advantage. And I think that going twin towers can work because, uh, you know, Rudy Gobert is, is amazing on defense. Cat Car Anthony Towns is amazing on offense. Uh, they can, you know, offset each other's weaknesses. They won't get in each other's way, uh, and they can complement each other a lot. And then Anthony Edwards, he's just going to continue to become, uh, you know, this definitive star. Like he's he's made of the right stuff. He's he's clearly becoming a complete player and someone who's coachable. And just a scratching the surface, you know, I have questions about the Angela Russell because we always have questions about. D'Angelo, he puts up a lot of good numbers and has good performances, but the question is there about his consistency uh, on offense as well as if he's ever a reliable defensive player. But I think the good thing about Minnesota is, you know, as much as they made this huge deal to get D'Angelo, he's not the star player on the team. That belongs to Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, and now Rudy Gobert is part of that. And I think for as much depth as they lost, they still have some nice pieces yes. with Jordan McLaughlin and Kyle Anderson and Jaden McDaniel. So, you know, they are very much it, uh, in that mix where they're not just this exciting playing team that caused Patrick Beverly to get on the scores table after they won. They're going to make the playoffs, and then it's just a matter of can they get past the first round. I think that they certainly have the talent, to get to the second round, but it's just hard in this loaded Western Conference. Which is that team again, barring injuries? Which team on paper could they supplant? That's presumably higher uh, in the in the standings. That is hard for me to think about, but they certainly have the talent and, and the right work ethic to overachieve. Yeah, I think they're actually going to win a lot of
1: regular season games, but just because. When you run into something that's different, it's just hard to play against. Toronto was that way in the East last year. We're like, hey, we're just going to have Fred Van Vliet. And uh, every other player is 6'4 to 6'9 and switchable. And and it doesn't matter if it's Siakam or Trent or Barnes or Ananubi. They just switched everything, and it was crazy. And it threw teams off. I think there's something to the Twin Tower thing in the regular season. And it works in part because Cat can step out. Right, like you can you can have Carl Anthony Towns shooting threes, spacing the floor, and let Rudy roll to the rim, and and you're not. You said they they and, and Towns has said this they complement each other more than they get in each other's way. So I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games. I have questions in the postseason about. Hey, I am going to space the floor on them. I am going to make Rudy and Cat play in space, and I'll trade threes for twos and see if we can beat you. It'll it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But in the regular season, I think they're going to win. Like I have them seventh, like you kind of do, but if you told me they got up into sixth or and in, into the playoffs, I would not be shocked.
2: Yeah, I have them at eighth. Um, you know, look, I have my own question marks about the Lakers, but I just you know, I have them at yeah. seventh just because LeBron James is on the team, and uh, you know, yeah. you never bet against them. But you know, the reality is whether we're talking about the Lakers or the Timberwolves or some other teams, that seven through ten jockeying. Again, it's almost like three to six. Like the separation among all those teams is very slim. And it's not just a matter of, okay, which team is going to be healthiest. There's a lot of things from those seven to ten teams of, hey, can they lean on that one star? Is that enough? And is the fit with everyone else right? And some of the roster holes will be pervasive enough. That's the thing that's going to be very intriguing about. Lakers, Minnesota, and some of these other teams that we're gonna be talking about. That could be a play in team. Uh,
1: like the Pelicans, who are who are about to be everybody's league pass favorite. Like I just think that they're gonna be so much fun to watch. I think they are the most intriguing team in the NBA this year because I don't quite know what to expect from them. Um I don't know if they've I don't know that they've got enough defense. I don't know that they're going to contend. Man, they're gonna be fun. They're going to get up and down. Uh, C.J. McCollum is got them all pulling the rope in the same direction. You add Zion in with Brandon Ingram. Like, I – this is just a – I don't – I'm not one of those guys who's like, man, this is a playoff team. This is a locked top six team, and they could go far. I don't think they're there yet, but I think there's a real good chance they make the playoffs again.
2: Without a doubt. I think that what they showed last year is uh, clearly they – Needed Zion Williamson back, but that they really developed everything else yep. um, so that they would be a team that's ready to make noise once Zion is back. And look, there's still questions about Zion. Like, can he stay healthy and can he, uh, you know, get through uh, everything after missing, you know, all of last season? And, you know, I thought he would look promising in the preseason game against the Bulls, but, you know, there is going to be that push pull about managing his workload and just being very cautious with how he's taking care of his body, both from a conditioning and diet standpoint. Yeah. Um, but I think their identity is all about the right stuff. I think Willie Green has clearly shown that he's had the sweet spot of knowing how to be an empowering coach, but also being a demanding coach. I think Brandon Ingram, he continues to show ever since his Laker days that he is this ultimate Kevin Durant prototype. That, you know, obviously isn't Kevin Durant yet, but is an all-star caliber player and fundamentally has all the right skills in his toolbox as far as being a diverse, a diverse score, being a team guy, being coachable. And then you uh, sprinkle in so many different good veteran slash glue guys slash complimentary players like a CJ McCollum and a Larry Nance Jr. And a... Yeah. Uh, Valanchunas like they are a complete team that competes is young and coachable like those are all ingredients for them to be a very dangerous playoff team but again it's the same challenge of I have I very much struggle barring health issues which team three through six and you know the top one through three which teams could the Pelicans supplant in a playoff series and that that leaves me, you know, really, uh, really challenged to pick one. But I think by their own identity, I really like what they're doing. All right, let's talk
1: about the Lakers. We have we're more than half an hour into this, and we have yeah, not we discussed have to them yet. we
2: have to talk Lebron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. We're contractually obligated to we'll always talk about the Lakers, <laughs> exactly. good or bad.
1: For, for, look, but for all the drama about LeBron in year 30, you know, what, what he will turn 38 uh, midseason and Russ's Westbrook fit and how long does he buy into the system that Darvin Ham is preaching and all this. Ham said it. He said it at media day. He said it again right before when you and I were actually in the room before uh, first preseason game of the season. This team's all about Anthony Davis, how far it goes. What it does this year is so dependent on Anthony Davis getting back to form. They need him to be bubble Anthony Davis again, uh, a guy who offensively was moving the ball but also hitting his jump shots and and being a force inside but who could step out a little and then defensively just playing at an all-NB, you know, all-defensive team level. They need that guy if there's going to be a serious
2: threat. Without a doubt, and look, I mean, there's a lot of things to get into with the Lakers, obviously, because of their uh, disappointing season last season with not making the play in tournament, but one of the reasons uh, why uh, the Lakers internally weren't so, you know, uh, as critical of Russell Westbrook, they were certainly critical, but they had a lot more criticisms toward Anthony Davis, not just the fact that he wasn't available, but uh, even knowing that injuries are a part of sports, there was a feeling that hey, he's not holding up his end of the bargain of of doing everything he can to both maximize his health so that he is available as much as he can, but then also being as aggressive as he can when he is on the court. And uh, look, injuries are injuries, but I think that there was definitely an expectation that you know after the NBA bubble championship season that Anthony Davis did not have the same mindset to maximize his odds of staying healthy as well as being aggressive when he was available. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of gray area because a, we're we're not in the trainer's room. We're not yeah. seeing the practice court, but there is, you know, I think some pushback from Anthony Davis where his perspective is, Hey, injuries are injuries and I can't really control that. And I'm doing the right things. I'm spending my off season knowing when I need to rest and knowing when I need to work. And so there is kind of that push and pull. I stand of the belief that uh, both things are true, but I think it also is misguided that any team should ever think, oh, well, if only Anthony Davis is healthy this season, we'll be fine. Like clearly he's shown throughout his entire career that he can't stay healthy for a consistent period of time. And whether – uh, you divide the pie of hey, it's because of injuries and that happens, or you add in the fact that hey, he's not doing everything he can from a training standpoint to better his luck. Uh, you know, you look at LeBron for example. No doubt, he's certainly been hurt and has missed games, but he's certainly returned a lot quicker, even at his age, after getting hurt. Um, the reality is, I think it's a fool's gold whether on regardless of whether it's both truths are right or one factors one over the other, that hey, let's put our fortunes on Anthony Davis being available. So, you know, I think because of that, I was of the belief that they need to do what they can to find a good deal for Russell Westbrook, even if it's not most ideal. But the Lakers were of the belief that, hey, if Anthony Davis is more available, a lot of those problems will solve because Anthony Davis and LeBron James showed a lot of great chemistry during their first year, and that'll address some of the issues that Russell Westbrook had last season with only having 21 games to play with AD and LeBron. But the way I stand is I know that you know Russ might benefit from having more games with them, might benefit from a new coach that might be more impactful with getting Russ to buy in and handle the rotations with Darvin Ham. I think all those things can be true. But I just have skepticism with Russ's ability to adapt. And as much as 21 games is a small sample size, I thought it was enough of a sample size for me to think, you know what, I've seen enough that this isn't going to really work. Um, But we'll have to wait and see. The Lakers, to their credit, improved on the margins with getting younger. But the reality is they are who they are. They have LeBron James. He's great, but he's in his 20th season. Anthony Davis is who he is. He is a he can be a top player, but there's always going to be those question marks about his durability. And Russell Westbrook, I think, is who he is. He's an amazing talent, but he's always going to march to the beat of his own drum. And clearly, as he gets uh, further into his NBA career at this po- at this stage of it, uh, that can be more of a hindrance than a benefit.
1: Is Russell Westbrook a Laker past the trade deadline?
2: Um, look, I thought that he wasn't going to be a Laker after this offseason, so yeah, same here. You never say never, but if I had to put money, I think that he does get dealt before the trade deadline. I think that it was very telling at Lakers Media Day what Rob Polenka was saying that he is not opposed to trading draft picks, but it has to be the right deal. Yeah, but they're mindful that LeBron James signed them to an extension, and it's not about you know, hoarding assets for the future. It's about maximizing LeBron James's window, and so I think you know they're looking at it through a pragmatic lens that you know maybe because they have they are healthier and younger this season that there will be more short-term success with the new head coach uh, to open the season. But it's yeah. all about trying to maximize that chemistry, get some more wins, improve Russell Westbrook's draft stock, and then. Uh, try to deal them before the trade deadline. But at the same time, Rob Palenka, I thought, was also telling and saying that you only have one shot at making this trade. So I I don't think that they're of the mindset of, hey, we got to make this deal because it's addition by subtraction. They're of of the mindset. Let's make this deal to find the deal that really pushes them into championship contention. And clearly, they're not in that window right now. Their window is... They could be a playing tournament team, maybe a six seed, but everything has to hit perfectly where there's really no injury or chemistry issues at all. And I think that's asking a lot, knowing what the Lakers faced last season and also knowing, to the theme of this whole podcast, how deep in town the Western Conference uh, landscape is.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the Lakers – I think their ceiling is about six, but they they could six to nine. I expect them to be in the play-in, but they very well could come through it. I just don't think they're going very f- I don't think they're going very far, but on the flip side of that, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy, I don't want to see them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and look,
2: from, a, from our lens, like the Lakers have always shown, whether they're competing for championships or they're in the lottery years, there's always something interesting that we'll see yes. on and off the court. So we'll – We'll, we'll, we'll get our popcorn ready, as we always do every season with them.
1: Let's talk about the two teams that I think are in the same boat, which is they really want to make the playoffs. But I don't think they're good enough, and I think making the play-in may be all they get. And uh, we'll start in Sacramento, a team we saw the other night. Um, you and I both did out in Los Angeles. That's not a bad team. If the Aaron Fox can find some chemistry with the Montes Sabonis, who you know is going to put up offensive numbers, but not really help you defensively. Um, there's, they went out and got some decent role players. Like I just, I think this is a good team that might just not be good enough in a ridiculously deep West.
2: Yeah. Without a doubt. I don't think that they're going to be the laughingstock of the Kings in years past. No. I, I like the De'Aaron Fox to Monta Sabonis combo. They showed a lot of great chemistry when Sabonis joined the Kings after the Pacers traded him before the trade deadline. I was talking to Sabonis earlier this week, and you know they're talking about how they can build off of that with you know moving off the you know off ball movement both with De'Aaron and Sabonis, and that's something that Mike Brown's going to try to implement. And Keegan Murray, I think, is the real deal. I thought it was oh, really yes. telling. It is, it is preseason play, so let's not like get carried away. But I thought it was telling uh, what Mike Brown was talking to you, uh, you and me post-game about his poise and how he feels like that's really going to allow him to get through his rookie season really well because he's going to be able to handle the ups and downs of being a rookie. And he's also not going to press. He's not going to try too hard. He's not going to try to shoot lights out in the gym and have these fantasy uh, number-type basketball games. He's just going to try to – make the right play. And he's also not afraid of the moment uh, with making shots, taking shots, or, you know, getting physical with someone, you know, talking to, you know, a lot of his coaches from Prairie High to Iowa to DME that, uh, you know, postgraduate program in Florida, the theme around him is that he basically checks all the boxes of what you want in a player. He's a really good scorer, can score inside and out. Uh, really good passer, high IQ, willing defender, and the weaknesses that he had of not being really physical. He's gotten a lot more physical. He's added a lot of muscle, yep. and uh, I think yep. the biggest thing is he's learned how to really be steady. You know, knowing how to handle the ups and downs of the season. But I think to your point, uh, they're not you know barnstormers. You know, maybe no. Sabonis is a two-time All-Star, but. Uh, you know, maybe De'Aaron Fox gets to that level. But I think that they just have a lot of nice pieces, but that's not quite yet. And I think the challenging thing is, I don't think this is going to be like the Kings of yesteryear of, oh, well, they'll just wind up getting a lottery pick again. No. A, that's not like why Mike Brown joined this team. He had a very nice job in Golden State where he could just ride the championship train. But he thought, hey, this is my chance to end this playoff drought. Since 2006, maybe not this season, but certainly sooner rather than later. And I think even if they are facing adversity, I don't think that they're bad enough where they're all of a sudden going to be losing games. They're almost going to be like what the Portland Trailblazers have been in, in yesteryear, where they clearly aren't the best in the West, but they're always due for a matchup problem every regular season game. And they could get it in the play and tournament and make noise, but again, the problem, as it has been that we've discussed throughout this podcast, there's just too many good teams in this Western Conference. Exactly, and
1: you don't bring in Mike Brown, by the way, unless you're thinking playoffs and to turn around a defense that's been the thing holding them back. You know, yeah, if, if he can turn them into a m- average defense, a 15th, 18th in the league type of defense. That takes them a long way because I do think they'll score with Sabonis and, and Harrison Barnes and, and Fox and everything else they've got. I think the chemistry is there. The potential is there. You mentioned the Trailblazers. That's kind of the other team. They did tank last year, um, and they used that on Shaden Sharp. We'll see. I got a feeling he's a couple of years out before we really find out. We did, didn't see him at Summer League, haven't seen him yet really. So they retool this team talking you know, hey, Damian Lillard came back, talking playoffs, talking building something. It's Anthony Simons. It's Yusuf Nurkic. It's, again, a nice team of role players that could do a little damage if Dame can get back to being Damian Lillard, but they don't feel like a true threat in the West.
2: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of gray areas with what the Blazers were doing. I think that unlike the Neil Shea era, Joe Cronin didn't just improve on the margins and reshuffle role players around Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, uh, but he also didn't tear it down completely. And no. you know, when I talked with him last season about, hey, why not do the tear down? He just felt like, hey, I don't, I don't think that we have the appetite for that total rebuild, and we're also, you know, committed to Damian Lillard. And clearly, both sides put pen to paper to that with agreeing to yeah. the extension. And, you know, I think to the Blazers' credit, they did make some difficult moves. I mean, for a while, it was about, hey, let's build around Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And they made that difficult decision with trading them, but they didn't tear it down to the studs. No. They still have have Yus- Yusuf Nurkic, um, who had some injury issues last year. Um, and I think the feeling is by trading CJ McCollum, part of it was optimism that Anthony Simons could take his game to yet another level. They address some of their defensive current concerns with getting Jeremy Grant in the offseason, uh, you know, getting Gary yeah. Payton, the second as well as a free agent, taking him yeah. away from golden state. Um, so they have a lot of nice complementary players, but again, there's not that same, you know, all-star caliber player that Damian Lillard clearly needs. So I think that, it's not like Damian Lillard's going to feel like, you know what? I'm spinning my wheels. It's, again, just me having to do all the heavy lifting and nothing else. He's still going to get some complimentary health. But, again, when you're talking about the Western Conference where you have the Warriors, the Clippers, and you have so many other teams that have a lot of great depth, this just isn't enough. Um, yeah, And I don't blame them for not doing the total teardown. I mean – To Damien's credit, he's still devoted to them, and he hasn't given them those signals. And a lot of times it's just really hard to sell that, especially to a small market franchise. But, you know, it's still going to be a challenging year. So while I do have optimism on paper about what the potential is, like I believe that Damien's going to be Dame pre-injury. I believe Anthony Simons will continue to grow as a young player. I believe that Nurkic will be healthy and effective. I believe in their complementary players. Just that's just not good enough beyond being a nice playing team that maybe could make the playoffs, but nothing more than a first round exit.
1: I, I don't think they expect Jeremy Grant to be. I think they got him with the intention of him being. I don't want to say a big three, but up there with Simon and 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 Lillard as just a critical piece. I, that's and frankly, that's the role he's wanted. He just hasn't really lived up to it. We'll see if that's different now. Uh, I'm kind of with you. I, again, I I love the Gary Payton, the second pickup for them to bring some defense to a team that needs it. It's just like we said, we are now, we're at least, if you throw the Jazz Rockets, Thunder and Spurs kind of into the lottery bound category, that's still 11 teams with play on f- f- dreams. And it's going to just be really hard for the Trailblazers to crack into the top eight just because of. Uh, you know, unless somebody again falls down because of injury, I just don't think they have the talent needed right now. And by the way, that that extension for Damian Lillard, he's there for a while. Like you, you're not even if even if Lillard gets frustrated and wants to get out now, like and I don't think that's going to happen. But even if he did, this would be a really hard contract to move. It was hard enough to find. I mean, it was hard enough for the Nets to try to move Kevin Durant, Lillard. I, Bless him, it's not Kevin Durant. Like, unless they're willing to take pennies back on the dollar, I just don't I, I don't see that getting done. I think think Lillard as the head of the snake there is going to be going on for a while.
2: Yeah. And that that's the thing. I mean, I think that both sides felt, you know what, it's better just commit now and worry about everything later. But I don't yeah. think in Damien's heart of hearts, he ever wants to go anywhere. I mean, Dame yeah. he wants to win, but I think that he does take he, he does have some competitive satisfaction that, Hey, he is a homegrown talent stuck with one franchise and has kind of gone against the grain of what the rest of the NBA landscape has become in recent years. And he feels like as much as he is about player empowerment, he does feel like by sticking to this, he will eventually get rewarded. But you know, it's easier said than done and it's hard. And you know, it did take a while for Portland to get to this point where they decide, you know what, we are going to trade C.J. McCollum. Um, so it's not to say that they won't make another pivot point and maybe they decide, you know what, we'll get off Nurkic's contract and, you know, trade other role players. But at some point, um, you know, it might just be, again, shuffling the the deck chairs again. And, you know, they got rewarded with that number seven pick with Shaden Sharp. Um, but we don't know what he's going to look like. I mean, he yeah. was he didn't really play in summer league, and summer league isn't really an indicator or anything at all, anyway. But at least for this season, he's not primed to have a prominent role. He's a rotation guy off the bench. It looks like he'll you know provide a lot of good athleticism and some passing. But we don't quite know how ready he is yet, and you know if there's going to be time needed for him to fully blossom. And maybe at that point, once he fully blossoms, that's when that window to make that deep playoff push happens. But, you know, the Warriors – I mean, not the Warriors. The Blazers have had been in this precarious situation prior to last season where they had that eight-year playoff streak that are always considered yeah. a dangerous out. And with the exception of the 2019 run to the West Finals, they never really made deep playoff pushes. And even when they went to the West Finals in 2019, like, they missed an opportunity. Yeah, they faced the Warriors, but Kevin Durant didn't play at all in that, se- uh, that series because he was yep. hurt, yet the Blazers still got swept. So, you know, I do fear that as much as they clearly made some inroads with their development strategy, it might feel like more of the same as it was before.
1: Yep, and I'm with you, though. I don't think that changes things with Lillard. I'll say this. I think it's, I think it's more likely Bradley Beal's on the move than Damian Lillard. If you're talking about two guys who've stayed loyal and signed big deals and eventually might move on, I just, I think that, I don't think Beal's going anywhere short-term, but I think it's more likely he does than uh, than Willard. It's it's going to be a fascinating year, Mark, because it's just like we said now. And I think the East is the same way, where you can go 12, 11, 12 deep with teams that think they belong in the playoffs. You've got that out West, and there's going to be some – there's just not going to be nights off out West. man. There's just like – if if you're if you're the Mavericks and you're like oh man we got the Kings tonight it's not a night off anymore man it's yeah it's it's it's, it's going to lead to some you might see depressed win totals across the board just because there's going to be rough nights everywhere
2: yeah I mean the only the only penciled wins for any teams is when they play Utah San Antonio Oklahoma City and maybe Houston
0: yeah and then everything I mean,
2: else. Yep. It's just going to see what domino falls first. Is there a major injury to a certain team that opens the window for some of these three through six and you know yep. seven through ten teams to climb? Or does one of those lower tier teams face their own injury or adversity where it's clear, hey, you know what, let's pivot to next season. That's going to be fascinating which domino happens first. Yeah, it's,
1: it is going to be a season where the mentally tough we'll get through because it's going to be rough on everybody. And uh, Mark will be there to cover it for NBA.com. Mark, tell everybody where they can find your work besides NBA.com.
2: Yeah. Well, NBA.com is a good starting point. I do some stuff for NBA TV, do some uh, TV work with spectrum sports out in LA for any of the listeners who live in Los Angeles. And then also do some radio work for Fox sports radio. So hitting all the airwaves here, as well as being able to join Kurt every so often in his, uh, Amazing podcast with NBC Sports. So,
1: All right, cool. Well, Mark, thanks for doing this. We will be back later this week. Corey Robinson and I will be discussing – we'll be talking a lot about predictions and uh, some of the NBA – news around the NBA, but also what we see heading into this season. So – We'll talk to you later this week. Thank you, for everybody, for listening.
0: Dietz Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.